Hey, we're starting um, a new series today out of the book of John, and Joel's gonna come up in just a moment. But before he does, I have the privilege and honor of opening the scriptures and, and reading what he's gonna be preaching out of this morning. And so I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna read John chapter 13. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you to speak to us and teach us and search our heart and encounter us as we meet you in the scriptures. Would you illumine them to us? Would you bring us revelation beneath the words on the page that are written? Would you meet us right where we are? We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and active and sharp. We thank you that it's a living, God-breathed food. And we just honor you and we honor your word. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. And he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. And it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. And so he got up from the table and he took off his robe and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. And when Jesus, Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. But Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, well then wash my hands and my head as well, not just my feet, Lord. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And this is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's who I am. And since I am your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow today. Do as I have done to you. And I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who brings the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, 
but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could have meant. And the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. And Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? And so that disciple leaned over to Jesus and said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it back to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. And then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're gonna do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought maybe he was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. And so Judas left at once going out into the night. And as soon as Judas had left the room, he said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will soon give glory to the Son. Dear children, I will be with you only a little while longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I am going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you must love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. Well, why can't I come now, Lord? He asked, I'm ready to die for you. But Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. Thank you for the reading, Sherry. Good morning, everyone. Mordena. Something powerful about the reading of God's Word. And we shall expound on it. We won't have time to do the whole chapter, but we'll be able to do the first half, I reckon, of the chapter, the washing of the disciples' feet. Thank you, team, for leading us beautifully in worship. It's, uh, it's been awesome to see, the, it feels like a new or fresh hunger for the Lord in worship, particularly in this 11 a.m. gathering the last few weeks. And I just, I think when people get hungry for God, for His presence, to exalt Him, to praise Him, man, all bets are off. When that happens, God loves to come and dwell within the praises of His people. God moves powerfully there, so we should expect great things uh, in that. So it gets me excited anyway. 
We're starting a new series today, Famous Last Words, John 13 through to John 17. This will be our journey through Lent. This will be our journey towards Easter weekend, doing a chapter each week. So if you want it to come alive even more, I'd encourage you in your devotional reading, you can sort of follow along in the chapters and dwell even before the Sunday. You know, you could be this coming week in, in John 14, ready for the coming Sunday and in your small groups talking about it. That'd be fantastic. And uh, we, we need to understand just John 13 is the setting for the conversation that takes place in John 14, 15, 16, and 17. It all happens around this table where Jesus has washed their feet. And so we're set in the whole scene today. I just, I love the, the, these chapters, the final discourse. It's like Jesus' most lengthy conversation that we have, that, that's where we are. And about 20 years ago, I was a Bible college student. I was still a teenager. And in the church uh, we were a part of, me and some friends organized like a special like midweek thing where we was centered around this passage. And what we did, it was night, it was winter. We lit heaps of uh, tea light candles. So when you came in the doors, it was just dark and it had sort of a winding path. We had the seats in the auditorium set in a big circle, just candle lit. And because it was 20 years ago, skits were sort of the thing. And so some people performed a little a skit about like fighting for who's the greatest disciple because that's what it tells us was happening around the table and other recounts of the story. And then we just simply read John 13 through to John 17, just by candlelight. And then I think for me, it was probably the, the first time I ever really encountered the presence of God like I did that night. We didn't plan on it, but I think we all sat there in dead silence for 30 minutes afterwards, just as we knew God was among us. This is the power of God's word. This is the power we sometimes don't need to uh, understand it all. We just need to read it, reflect it, and receive it because God is in his word. And so I'm hoping that that same thing that happened 20 years ago happens in some way, shape, or form over these next five weeks. I also, just as I was preparing this week's message, I thought it was gonna go in such a different direction than where we're gonna go. I, I restudied this passage. I had all the books out. I was in it and I was like, oh God, you're taking me on a very different path here. And it, it ministered deeply to me. And so I'm, I'm believing that today God's word is gonna minister deeply to you in this unexpected journey. And so today's title is called this, Jesus doesn't just love us, he likes us. He doesn't just love us, he likes us. I'm a father of four children. I love my children, I, I sacrifice for my children, I provide for my children, I pray for my children. You know, I do things I don't wanna do sometimes for my children. Um, I have, they can do the dishes for me, which I don't wanna do sometimes. Uh, but I, I love my children, I, I, I want the best for my children and I'm willing for it to cost me so that they can be what God needs them to be in this world or design them to be in this world. But here's the thing, I, I don't just love my children, I like my children most of the time. I, I wanna hang out with my children. I wanna enjoy their company. I want to spend time with them. We just uh, had our oldest leave home and I miss my son. 
I miss just being able to spend. When he rings now, it's like, you know, yes, I'm excited to hear from him. When he returns, I'm excited to see him. Katie was away on Friday night having a sleepover with some friends from high school, still having sleepovers. Uh, and so it was me and some of the other kids, and I, you know, it's like, I'm not cooking. Uh, so it's like, but let's go out. And I, want, I was excited to go out with the kids for dinner and just hang out and eat and walk and talk and have my daughter hold my hand and just, you know, walk along the strand and just like, just... I, I love my kids, but I also really like my kids. And God loves us, but he also likes us. And it can be a little bit hard to receive that. It can be a little bit hard for that penny to drop for us for lots of different reasons. But I'm just believing for at least some of us today that that might just be the case as God draws near to us. So let's open up the passage, John chapter 13, will sort of set the scene, and I hope just as I teach on this, that God will bring it to life for us. Let's set the scene. It starts here in verse 1, before the Passover celebration. This is important context. The Passover celebration was an annual celebration. They would uh, sacrifice a lamb, they would cook the lamb, and they would remember the story where God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt through the sacrifice of the lamb. They smeared the blood of this perfect lamb, this lamb without blemish. They smeared it over their doorpost, and the spirit of death would pass over them, deliver them. They remembered that whole story of deliverance, this is in the backdrop to the washing of the feet, okay? This is in the disciples' mind. It was before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. What is that his hour had come means? It means that he knew he was about to give up his life for the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to us. And so he knew that his hour had come for his big moment to give up his life. This is the backdrop. The cross is the backdrop to the washing of the feet. The Passover is the backdrop to the washing of the feet. And then it says, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. Love is the backdrop. If you're wanting to know how to see the story, see it through Passover, see it through the cross, see it through the love of Jesus coming to full completion here. And then it goes, it was time for supper. So we're not in a church service. We're not in the temple. We're in a room where people are eating a meal together. It's a picture of intimacy, of relationship, of fellowship, of community, of oneness. This is the context of what's happening. Hospitality, intimacy. And then it says that Jesus uh, then it says, it was time for supper. The devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And so now we've got the devil in this meal. And, and even in the backdrop of this fellowship moment, of this washing the disciple moment, John wants to tell us, don't forget about the cosmic battle going on in this world. It's not just Jesus versus Judas here. It's Jesus versus the devil. And this is a defining moment of Jesus' victory, of good over evil, of light over darkness, of love over hate. 
And then we're also reminded that in the context of this beautiful act of hospitality, this beautiful act of service, this beautiful act of relationship and fellowship, that in the backdrop is betrayal. How very human of the story that where we have one of the most intimate moments of Jesus and his disciples, we also have a story of betrayal going on at the same time. And then we get insight into Jesus' mind. He says that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. He knew that uh, he had come from God and would return to God. And so we've got this context. Are you, are you imagining it with me? We've got the Passover. We've got the cross of Jesus. We've got the love of God. We've got an intimate meal. We've got a cosmic battle. And we've got a Jesus who nobody has taken his life. He's giving his life. And at that, he begins to wash some feet. We, know, we need to understand that for John, John loves stories. John loves miracles. The Gospel of John, the story of John, he loves to tell stories and he always tells stories to reveal something about Jesus' identity and that's the true of the washing of the feet. The first story that John tells is all the way back in John chapter two and he tells us about the wedding feast of Cana. It's the most ridiculous miracle because it's not really a miracle of need as we would understand it. A wedding party was going too hard. And they'd run out of wine. And, and Jesus' mom comes to Jesus and is like, come on, son, you could do something about it. And he says, my hour has not yet come. But the mom must have given him a look. Because he did it anyway. And he turned water into wine. I was, I was reading it before. It, was like, it actually says that, he says, my hour's not yet come. And then mom says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Like, he's going to do it, trust me, you know. And he provides this abundant, glorious, beautiful, the top, top wine out of a miracle. And what's the point? John's trying to tell us about what his ministry will look like. It's the setting, the scene of like, when the Son of God comes into your life, he brings abundant life. He brings joy, he brings celebration, he brings freedom. John's not just telling us he turned water into wine, he's telling us about the nature of the glory of God when it comes to earth. And so when John tells us about Jesus washing feet, he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us about the radical, intimate love that will find its full expression on the cross of Jesus. He's trying to bring to life what's gonna happen tomorrow on the cross. He's trying to tell you the meaning of the cross through the story of the washing of the feet. Is this making sense? You're like, prove it to me. Prove it that he's telling me that. Prove it. Well, in verse four, it says, um, he got up from the table and he took off his robe. The verb for taking off his robe is a Greek word called tethemi, and it is the same word that Jesus uses in John chapter 10 when he's predicting his death and saying that he will give up his life. He uses it in John 10, 15, John 10, 17, John 10, 11, and he uses it even in this chapter, John 13, verse 38, when he's saying about dying for me, 
or that I'm ready to die for you. It's the same word, giving up, taking off. He uses it in John 15 even, in verse 13, where he says there's no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friends. This is the same word as taking off the robe. There's no doubt that John wants us to see what Jesus is doing is giving up his life. He's taking off his life. He wants us to see that in the washing of the feet. And if that's not proof enough, I've got one more bit of proof. It says that he... He wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. And this word for drying or this word for wiping is exactly the same word that is in the chapter previous where Mary pours a year's worth of alabaster jar oil over Jesus' feet and people think it's too extravagant. And Jesus says, leave her alone because she's preparing me for my burial. And the same word where it says that he, she wiped his feet is the same wiping. And so John with the Greek language is trying to say, see the story in light of the death of Jesus. This is bringing to life the death of Jesus. But let's, let's just pause, because foot washing is super weird. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know what your shower routines are. We could get intimate here for a moment. I'm gonna be honest, I don't clean my feet every time I'm in the shower. I think they're in the bottom there. They're, they're amongst it, you know what I mean? Like, they're amongst the stuff down there. Soap's getting there, I guess. Like I, I wash them like every, I don't know how many showers, you know, per shower it's a wash of the feet, but I, I don't know, maybe others could confess too, I don't know, maybe it's just a me thing. Um, but I suspect it's not. But in the ancient world, the washing of the feet is like the taking off the shoes in your home. You, most people wore sandals, there were dusty places, the homes were places to be kept clean, so we don't want to drag the dust of where we've been, just like you don't want to drag the whatever you've stood in on the farm into the house, you, you, you wash the feet. And so it would be customary to always wash the feet when you enter somebody's home. And it would happen like several different ways. Like if it was a really poor home and there were no servants, there would just be a bowl and a, a little stool and you would sit there and the host, the, the owner of the home would invite you in and direct you to the place to wash your feet and you would do that yourself. Or if the home had a little bit more money or they had servants, then it would be the lowest ranked servant's job to wash the feet as an expression of service, but also as an expression of hospitality. And so when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, there are two things colliding here. There's the role of the servant that Jesus is taking on, and then there's the role of the host. Jesus, when he washes the disciples' feet, he's the servant and he's the host. It's an expression of humble service and role reversal, and it's an expression of radical hospitality that he would wash his disciples' feet. When he puts the towel on, he assumes the outfit, the garb, the uniform of a servant. He takes off his rabbi identity, his Messiah identity, his son of God, creator of the universe. He takes off his robe, he wraps a towel around, and he assumes the role of a servant, but he also offers radical hospitality around a table that hospitality should have been offered to him. 
So Jesus is playing servant and host, and I, I think I've made that point clear. And once again, we must remember it's pointing to his death. Perhaps on the cross, Jesus is playing both servant and host. Perhaps in his death, he is also playing both servant and host. He's helping us to understand what he's about to do. And Peter, well, Peter, Peter, verse 8. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. How quickly Peter ends up changing his tone. We shouldn't beat up on Peter because Peter's always just, he's just the guy who gets the flack, but really he's just taking the flack on behalf of all the disciples who would have had exactly the same attitude as Peter. And I know that because all of us would have had exactly the same attitude as Peter. I know this because if you've ever had somebody that is even semi-important to you in your home and they try to do the dishes, you protest. No, 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 you're my guest. Get out of the kitchen, let me do it. We'll do it later, you say. You know, I don't know who's important to you in your life, like if it's a Komata or if it's the Prime Minister or if it's Taylor Swift. I can tell you if they came around to your house, and they tried to clean the toilets and start vacuuming, right? And start doing the dishes, you would protest like Peter. No, no, no. The creator of the universe, the son of God, the Messiah does not wash feet. Let me wash yours. Right, this is Peter's protest. But Jesus' response to Peter holds the key to understanding this whole foot washing, foot washing ordeal. Jesus' washing of Peter's feet is stated as necessary condition for Peter's share or belonging with Jesus. Jesus replies, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. To have a share with Jesus is to have fellowship with Jesus to have unity with him, to have oneness, to have relationship with him. It's to participate fully in this life. And so Jesus goes, unless you let me wash your feet, Peter, you won't share in the life I have. It's a big statement. Let me wash you, Peter. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. He's putting some extra rooms on his father's house. He doesn't just love us, he likes us. And he opens up his home and his life and his fellowship with the father, the son and the spirit for us to enter and get swept up in it. The father, the son, the Holy Spirit, this beautiful and perfect trinity are in perfect fellowship. It's a love dance of service and honour and glorification of one another. And Jesus wants us to come in the midst of that and experience it and get swept up in it. This is what it is to share in Jesus. And so one share of Jesus is the full gift of relationship with him. And he offers it in foot washing. Why does he offer it in foot washing? Well, because it's a reminder you can't earn it. You can't go get it. You can't make it happen. But like Peter, 
You need to let Jesus bring it and simply receive it. It's received by faith. But Peter's misunderstanding then like goes from one extreme to the other. You shall never wash me. Well, if it's that important, Jesus, wash my hands and my head as well. Let's have a whole sponge bath situation. Not just my feet, Jesus. I want to fully belong to you. But Peter's misunderstanding is often like ours in this passage. Peter keeps thinking it's about water. But it's not about water, it's about relationship. Jesus has already cleansed the disciples. He makes that clear. He makes it clear in this passage. He makes it clear again in John chapter 15 when he says, I've already cleansed you in John 15 verse 3 by my word, by the message you've received. I want to liken it to like this. They, the disciples are forgiven. The disciples' sins have been wiped clean. They are clean. They are the righteousness of Christ. They've made that important decision by faith that Jesus is their Lord and Saviour. And now Jesus is showing them that when you become a disciple, when you become a follower, Jesus doesn't just love you, He likes you and He wants to draw incredibly close to you. Jesus is showing them what it really means to be in relationship with Him. What He's really accomplishing in the cross is not just someone to believe in, not just a ticket to heaven, not just some life insurance for eternity. He's showing them that when you choose Jesus, you choose a God who wants to draw so close to you in service and in hospitality that He would even wash your feet. He would prepare a table before you if we want to mix metaphors. Even in the presence of your life, he would say, come and sit. He would anoint your head with oil. These are all host things. He would pour your cup to overflow. You drink it, he'll pour some more in there. There's a full spread there and you enjoy his prince. He wants to draw close. He wants to express radical hospitality and service to you so that you would know that he doesn't just love you, but he likes you. Jesus asks nothing of his disciples in this moment other than they place themselves completely in the hands of Jesus, that they discard their images of who they think he is and how one comes to God and give themselves completely to the ministry of Jesus to them. He asks that they enter into relationship with him on the terms of Jesus, that they allow their relationship with Jesus to be defined by God's love and God's love alone. They are, they are to allow Jesus to lead them in love. The foot washing removes, and I want you to hear this, the foot washing removes the possibility of distance between Jesus and his followers. It brings them face to face with the depth of God's love for them. And Peter's initial response and the mention of Judas' portrayal in this story 
make it clear that accepting Jesus' gesture of love and hospitality is indeed a great challenge for us. It's no guarantee. God loves us and he likes us. And I don't know what it is about me or about us as human beings, but we're a little bit more comfortable with God at a distance than God up close. God out there is safe. God here washing my feet. Oh, that's dangerous. That takes real courage to let Jesus come wash your feet. No, Jesus, it should be the other way, way around. Shh, let me. I don't know about you, I'm more comfortable serving God than letting God serve me. I'm very comfortable doing things for God. It's a little bit more uncomfortable letting God to do things for me. One, I feel a little bit more in control. The other is like, I don't know what's gonna happen if I just open myself up to God to come close. I mean, I know there's some mess in here. Who knows how that's gonna come out if he comes close. I know I got some dirt. If I let him wash it, I don't know. Is that gonna get messy? And so many of us often, because it's safer to keep God at a distance, we keep him out there. We feel unworthy. We feel shame. We like control. We certainly don't want to come into a church service and have God draw real close and us start crying in front of other people. What will they think? What will they think if it comes out messy? What will they think if Jesus starts touching on a nerve as he draws close and I don't have words to explain it, but it just feels like he's loving me right now and he's healing something in me and now I've got the tears and the snot and the... What will people think? And so we just, no, Jesus, don't come wash my feet. I'll just believe in you. I'll just subscribe to you. I'll just pray to you. How dare you come and wash my feet? No, stay, stay away. I'm not ready for that. Oh, please don't do it here with all these people around. Right, and so we hold them out. But the whole point of what Jesus has done on the cross for us and his death, burial, and resurrection is so that he might come and wash our feet, that he might first minister to us, that we might share in the life he has for us, the life of love that is in the Trinity that might become our portion. And then Jesus explains this whole thing I'm giving you an example. He says, go and do likewise. But what is often missed in this is that this call to go and do likewise to others cannot be separated from the fact that they have first let Jesus do it to them. The call to go and do likewise comes after having participated in letting Jesus wash your feet. To do it the other way around is to try and muster up a love to try and muster up a hospitality, to try and muster up a sacrifice. But in the words of John in another one of his books, he says, we love because he first loved us. And what we can often miss is before we go and wash anyone else's feet, have you let Jesus wash yours? Before you go and rush to serve, have you let Jesus serve you in the way he desires?
The call of these verses is to embody the love and service of Jesus to one another because we've experienced it firsthand. It's not to try and pour out when we haven't been poured into. It's not to dig deep. It's not to find something. It's not to muster some love up. It's not to muster some service up. It is to first let God serve us. If the miracle of the wedding reveals Christ's glory and abundance, then the foot washing reveals Christ's love, which finds its full expression on the cross. And our embodiment as the people of God in radical service and hospitality will also speak to Christ's love if we let him first do it for us and then we go and do likewise. I read this and I liked it. It says, when the faith community embodies Jesus' love, it not only reveals Jesus' identity, but it also assumes a new identity, shaped by Jesus. The references to the betrayal that are woven into the foot-washing narrative sound a cautionary note that this new identity, Jesus' act towards us in love, presents, us, uh, presents the community with a choice. One can embrace Jesus' gift to us, and embody one's embrace of that gift through one's own acts of love, or one can turn one's back on Jesus' gift of love. We can enter into community with Jesus and with one another, or we can reject that community. And I fear for too many of us, we miss out on so much because we do not let Jesus come close. There's a clear message here to wash one another's feet. This is speaking of how disciples are supposed to live with one another. I, I think what we often assume is we're supposed to go out there and wash the world's feet, find the hurting, find the broken, find those in need, find those who are lonely, whatever you want. If I go to the highways and byways and let's start serving the world and washing people's feet. And I imagine if I preached that message, there would be not a single person who would have any problem with that. Be like, yes, of course, let's do it. Go church. And that may be true, but that is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, wash one another's feet. He's speaking to who we're supposed to be as God's church for one another. He's speaking to the brothers and sisters of Christ. Before you go out and wash the world's feet, why don't you wash each other's? Why don't you let... In the same way Jesus came close to you, why don't you let others come close to you? Why don't you draw close to others? It's saying how the life of the church should be. Here's the truth, figuratively speaking, maybe in reality too, there's quite a lot of feet out today. We all have dirty feet. I've got dirty feet. You've got dirty feet. Mine might even be the dirtiest. And it's real easy to notice other people's dirty feet. And we've got a choice as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can point and judge or we can kneel and scrub. It's easy to point and judge. But if Jesus doesn't even do that and He's the only one that really could, why don't we kneel and scrub some more? We live in an age of idealism. 
And as Bonhoeffer said, if you love your ideal of church more than you love the actual people in the church, you're at great risk of ruining the church. We can easily see how others can be better. We can easily see how a small group could be better. We could easily see how the church culture could be better. We can easily, it doesn't take an expert to see room for improvement all around us. But we've got a choice. We can point and judge or we can kneel and scrub. The most beautiful things in this world are not the things that were created beautiful, but they're the things that were rough and jagged and by somebody's love and service that reveals the beauty that was there all along. That's what Jesus does to us. He doesn't love us because we're beautiful. It's His love that makes us clean and beautiful. And it's our love, His love through us, that will do the same for those around us. So remember, family, God doesn't just love you. He likes you. If you're willing and able, can we stand to our feet? Worship team, you can come join me, please. God doesn't just love you, He likes you. In the same way He washed the feet of the 12, even the one who betrayed Him, He desires to come and wash our feet too. Yes, it feels uncomfortable at first when God draws close. Yes, who knows what's gonna happen, how messy it's gonna get, how much dirt is gonna be revealed, who knows? But I wanna share in the fullness of what God died for me to share in. I don't wanna scratch the surface of God's love for me. I wanna know the depth, the height, the width and the length of it, even though it is too great to fully understand. Let us experience it. Let Him draw near to you this morning. Let Him draw near to you this week. Let Him draw near to you this year because He longs to express radical service and hospitality to you. Because He doesn't just love you, He likes you. And once you've received that, receive His words, go and do likewise for your brothers and sisters. Do you need to receive Him today? Maybe you're here, you've never received the love of Jesus in your life. You've never chosen to be His disciple and let Him come close. Do you need to receive Him today? If so, He says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you seek me, you will find. Maybe you're here today though, and you know that you've been keeping God at a distance. You're like, Peter, no, don't, don't come that close, God. Maybe you're more comfortable serving Him. Would you let Him serve you today? Would you let Him wash you today? Would you let Him come close to you today? Because that's what I believe He wants to do.